So my name is, um, like Francesca says, Sister Jacinta. I teach uh, fourth grade at St. Catherine of Siena Catholic School. So I usually am not talking about this topic. So it's a little bit outside my uh, normal, normally I'm teaching about double digit multiplication or um, seven sacraments of the church. So I'm super excited that I got asked to um, give this presentation because it really helped solidify things for me as well as a, as a woman, as a sister. Um, and a lot of what I'm gonna be talking about comes from the writings of St. John Paul II. So, but I'll come to that in just a moment. So this is really a retreat morning for you. And um, thank you for the, Michael, for the talk this morning. I think that was a beautiful, beautiful reflection on masculinity and the gift of authentic masculinity to our families, to our society. Now we're gonna take a moment and look at femininity. And I, I'm hoping that this talk uh, for the women in this room will resonate with your own experience and will help you more deeply understand the tremendous dignity of being a woman. And then for the men in this room, my hope is that this talk will not only help you understand the women in your life a little better, <laughs> but will give you a particular perspective that may help you form your own future little girls your own beloved daughters to become dignified, honorable, and virtuous women. There are going to be three main talks, uh, three main parts to this talk. First of all, um, 10 fundamentals of fem femininity. I did not make them up. They're from John Paul II's apostolic letter, um, Mulieris Dignitatem, which is Latin for on the dignity and vocation of women. He wrote this apostolic letter in 1988 on the occasion of the Marian year. Then I'm gonna talk about threats to femininity, both modern threats and perennial threats. And then lastly, just a few uh, practical suggestions that I would have um, from my own experience, from um, my formation of how do we form the feminine heart? How do we form the feminine heart to embrace her femininity so that woman can be free to be who God means her to be? And as St. Catherine of Siena says, set the world ablaze with the love of God. Throughout this talk, I'm gonna be also weaving in Old Testament uh, female heroines and the wisdom of the saints, particularly John Paul II, Fulton Sheen, personal favorite, and Adrian von Speyer, who was a 20th century mystic. There is one overarching theme though in this talk. And though this is a talk about femininity, I think it's probably more appropriate to say it's a reflection on our Blessed Mother, who is the archetype of woman. This is from um, Fulton Sheen's book on Mary, the world's first love. Everyone who is in love with an ideal love, a love that is so far beyond sex that sex is forgotten, we all love something more than we love. When that overflow ceases, love stops. As the poet put it, I could not love thee, dear, so much, loved I not honor more. That ideal love we see beyond all creature love, 
to which we instinctively turn when flesh love fails, is the same idea that God had in his heart from all eternity, the lady whom he calls mother. She is the one, I think I started here, she is the one whom every man loves when he loves a woman, whether he knows it or not. She is what every woman wants to be when she looks at herself. She is the woman whom every man marries in ideal when he takes a spouse. She is hidden as an ideal in the discontent of every woman with the carnal aggressiveness of man. She is the secret desire every woman has to be honored and fostered. She is the way every woman wants to command respect and love because of the beauty of her goodness of body and soul. And this blueprint of love, whom God loved before the world was made, this dream woman before women were, is the one of whom every heart can say, in its depth of depths, she is the woman I love. As the mother of God, immaculately conceived, assumed into heaven body and soul, Mary seems utterly distant and her virtue seemingly unattainable. But we must always remember she is flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone, not a divine being, but a human being with a human nature. She is the highest honor of our race and is, as Fulton Sheen puts it, the woman every man loves and the woman every woman wants to be. Unlike the celebrities of our society, Mary is no faraway ideal. No, she is our sweet and blessed mother who loves us and cares for us and prays for us, who knows our hearts and sees the sincerity with which we desire to know her son. John Paul II's motto was totus tuus, taken from St. Louis de Montfort's true devotion to Mary meaning totally yours. A complete surrender to Our Lady is a complete surrender to our Lord, which is the key to the interior freedom and holiness of the saints. One of the things St. Catherine of Siena liked to write about the most was called the cell of self-knowledge. And cell, maybe you think of like the microscopic cell that you see under a microscope, or maybe you think of a prison cell. Um, but the word actually comes from the Latin celi, which is um, Latin for heaven, of course. And um, as sisters, we don't call the rooms that we, that our personal rooms, our bedrooms, we call them our cells, because that place, that room, um, that sacred place is a place, that little piece of, is a little piece of heaven for us, um, where we, um, can commune and be with God. We use that space to pray, to rest, to study. That space, no other sister goes into our own, each other, we don't go into each other's cells, you know. Um, we, and it's also a place of silence. And St. Catherine uses this image of a cell and calls it the cell of self-knowledge. She says that in order to grow closer to Jesus, the soul, which is like a little cell, your little piece of heaven where it's just you and Jesus, must grow in its knowledge of itself by turning inward, not in self-centeredness, but in a discovery of how God has created it with all its natural strengths 
and weaknesses and desires. And that the soul that God infuses into the body is not a generic blank slate soul. No, your soul possesses a richness in its identity as masculine or feminine. That's gonna bridge me into the 10 um, fundamentals of femininity that um, are taken from John Paul II's On the Dignity and Vocation of Woman. But before I get into these 10, um, I just wanna invite you, if at any point during the talk you wanna raise your hand and ask a question or a clarification, please do. I'm by trade teacher, so I'm very used to <laughs> kids, you know, uh, raising their hands or even interrupting. I won't give you rule violations or corrections, of course, but <laughs> feel free um, to ask questions if you, um, if you have any that come up or even write them down and at the end we can talk about them and I'll try my best. Okay, this is the only slide that's gonna have this much font and words on it. But these are all the, all the things that I'm gonna talk about. Okay, 10 fundamentals of femininity. Number one, the world is created with order and in every feminine heart is that which works in that order. So I think this is like super important for understanding how we understand femininity as Christians and how the secular world understands femininity. There's really two ways of understanding, okay? So like I said, the Christian understanding and like a secular worldly view of understanding. And at the base, there's a disagreement on whether the world is created in an orderly way. So, a secular worldly view sees femininity only as a list of qualities, a role to assume, something shaped by cultural norms and socially accepted behaviors and expectations that can change. And this has become what many want to reject or fight against because it often leads to the objectifying of woman, making woman an object. She feels used for what she can do as a woman and therefore pushes against what she perceives as a barrier to her freedom, her, a barrier um, to being herself, a barrier to creating who she is. And so that's if you don't believe, the secular worldly view is you don't believe that there's an order to the world, um, and so therefore a person is like a blank slate and she can create herself to be whoever she wants to be. She can do whatever she wants. And that's true freedom, according to the secular worldly view. On the flip side, the Christian view of femininity is shaped by God's plan for woman, reflected by how her body is designed to carry and nurture new life. She has a unique part in the created order. So if we believe that God is truly the creator and he created the world in an orderly way with hierarchies and processes and, um, and, and reasons for everything, that everything is reasonable, okay, then we would believe that woman has this unique part. And it's not just assuming a socially dictated role. Rather, woman accepts who she is as it is written on her feminine soul. She is subject to be cherished for, she is a subject to be cherished for who she is, not an object to be used and valued only for her accomplishments. She is in the position of complementarity 
with men, not competition. If one does not believe that there is an order to the world, that everything is created for a reason, like I said, that there are hierarchies and patterns, then one cannot accept this Christian view of femininity and thus would only see any what I call non-self-created ideas of femininity as oppressive, imposed, and thus invalid. So if you have friends who are not Christian, they, they, they may attribute or believe what's on the latter, that worldly, secular um, view. And it's also important to remember we are also the product of our culture. So I was also born in the 90s. <laughs> I am of your age, right? Um, I remember Beanie Babies and Bell Bottoms and um, Spice Girls and <laughs> Basket Boys, you know. I remember when the Titanic came out in second grade. So um, I think it's important to acknowledge we are also, like those things, also affects us like what this secular worldly view also affects our own thinking and so I'm hoping that this morning I'll be able to help clarify what is the Christian view of femininity so that when you're out in the world and you see these contrary views you can say wait hold on that's coming from a place where people think they can just make themselves but no I believe that there's a God and God created me and he loved me into existence and he has a plan for me and so I have to um really reason through everything that I watch, everything that I that I hear in the music, in the movies, um, in the TV shows that I watch, and distinguish, okay, is this a worldly view or is this really that Christian view of femininity that my heart is really made for? So woman is made for a purpose, but not to be used as an object to fulfill a function. like like surrogate mother see, motherhood, no. Like we're not just a womb. Rather, her, her purpose is affirmed in the reality of her personhood. And that leads to my second fundamental. Like woman, excuse me, like man, woman is made in the image and likeness of God and thus is a person made for relationship and union. When I wanted to read, oops, I got my Bible. <laughs> okay, I want to read from um, the book of Genesis. Just go to the beginning. Everything was new and fresh. Okay, this is the story of the creation of woman. From Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. At the time when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, while as yet there was no field, shrub on earth, and no grass of the field had sprouted. For the Lord God had sent no rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the soil. But a stream was welling up out of the earth, and was watering all the surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground, and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being. The Lord God then took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. The Lord God gave man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat. The moment you eat from it, you are surely doomed to die. I didn't notice this until like a couple days ago when I was getting ready for this talk, but Eve is not here yet. 
been given this command not to eat, that he needs to, you know, tell Eve. So maybe there's some miscommunication. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is beautiful. I will make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and various birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called each of them would be its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and all the wild animals, but none proved to be the suitable partner for the man. So the Lord God, God's not so the Lord God <laughs> sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one body. So out of all the animals, man could not find one that would be suitable to be his helper. But it is not good for man to be alone. And so out of his rib comes Eve, created of the same bone and flesh, and created to be in relationship. She is created to be in relationship with man. And then the two become one, not only in a physical union, in marital embrace, but a spiritual unity. And here we have the inauguration of the beautiful sacrament of marriage. Existing not just next to each other, like he lives his life, she lives her life, but intimately in a union for each other. Um, I think this is from Love and the Responsibility or Theology of the Body. So I know you all have heard lots of talks on Theology of the Body. So tell me if this is where it comes from, but it was a sister who told me this. I think it's a beautiful image that Eve is taken from the side of Adam. She isn't taken from like his skull bone. She isn't taken as if she were above him or um, she isn't taken from his like a toe bone, right? She isn't for below him. No, she's taken from his side. She is meant to exist next to him as his equal. And when I tell it to my students, second graders, I, I've taught second grade for many, many years, and even a second grader can understand that. Right? That where that dignity of woman is not because she's better or worse, but rather she is made equal. Woman must help man, and vice versa. Man must help woman. Together, they discover humanity ever anew and its meaning in their sincere gift of self. In this sincere gift of self, woman realizes who she is and man realizes who he is. They are gifts to one another. This is a pencil drawing, I think color pencil drawing by William Blake. It's currently at the Met in New York City. But I love this image because God the Father, God the Creator, is standing giving Eve to Adam as a gift. And likewise, giving Adam and bringing him to Eve. What a beautiful image. 
Romano Gordini, um, who was an Italian priest uh, that lived in the 19, uh, 20th century. Uh, he's written lots and lots of really great spiritual books. If you're looking for a great spiritual read, look for something by Romano Gordini. Um, he's written a really powerful book on the virtues that next to the Bible, I put my book on the virtues by Romano Gordini. <laughs> um, and he says, we are not dealing with a weak submissiveness. So it's not woman, oh, she's just there to help, you know, make cook the dinner and wash the dishes and submit to her husband. But with seeing truth and taking one's stand upon it. There is an objective reality about woman's um, position next to man, with man, intimately united, complementing each other. All right, a woman's love though, um, excuse me, the origin of woman and Eve shows how much God loves man and woman by giving them to each other. And though man was created first, woman is no less, like I said, in her personhood. So the third uh, fundamental is that she's a creature willed by God for her own sake. Um, one of the things as sisters is we listen to spiritual reading during dinner. We don't um, have, we don't usually talk during dinner. We usually have what we call monastic silence. And then we listen to spiritual reading so that we're fed by, physically fed by the food and then also spiritually fed by spiritual reading. And most recently, we were listening to a talk given by a Dominican priest who is the papal theologian um, uh, at the Vatican. His name is Father Geertek. And he said that woman is the last and therefore the crown of God's creation. <laughs> so after woman was created, God felt like he could finally rest because he had created his masterpiece. Um, I'm the oldest of, in my family. I'm the oldest of four. And if you're the, any of you are the oldest in your family, you might have the same experience. It always seems like my parents loved the youngest one, my youngest sister, the most. <laughs> that she was the masterpiece. You know, she was the one. You know, she always gets what I didn't get. So, um, so you know, less, la last is best. Best is last, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm joking here, we know. But when I say that woman is willed for her own sake, this affirms woman's personhood, her dignity that has been bestowed by God. God said to St. Catherine of Siena, Do you not know, or do you know, daughter, who you are and who I am? If you know these two things, you have beatitude in your grasp. You have happiness in your grasp. You are she who is not. I am he who is. So in a woman, there's an inner knowledge of her own dignity and personhood, while also an even deeper knowledge of her own creatureliness. So God is not diminishing St. Catherine when he says, you are she who is not, I am he who is, but rather is only stating reality. And thus, by living in re reality, that helps her know herself. So, so far I've been, spoke, been speaking about the ideal. You know, a woman who is fully integrated, authentic, authentic woman who knows, accepts, loves the gift 
of being a creator, creation of the Lord, a handmaid of the Lord. But as we all know, and Michael talked about this this morning, original sin has deformed the human soul and the consequences is are a disordering of her femininity and ability to both know and give herself with freedom and love. Every woman, this is number four, carries the same consequence of Eve's sin. Your desire shall be for your husband. I know we don't often think of this one. We often think about the labor pains. But <laughs> this one is also in there. And I think this one, in a sense, is even more, um, is deeper than just the, because the labor pains will pass. You know, and then you have a child to hold. But this, this is always in a temptation for women. Because of original sin, and this is really important for the men to hear, woman is deeply insecure and finds it difficult to make a sincere gift of herself and to live for the other. On top of that, man is inclined to dominate and use woman because his soul is also disordered by concupiscence or his inclination to sin. So we have Jesus and St. Joseph as beautiful models of masculinity right, as authentic men, um, but those are also the ideas, and, and as fallen as woman is, man is also fallen, so both, like, kind of compound on each other. John Paul II says, instead of facing her own insecurities and fears, woman is more likely to fall under the trap of sentimentality or indulging the emotions that man the emotion, indulging the emotions as an escape or release. So I think it's really important to say over and over and over again that emotions are really, really important. Okay, you have to have integrated emotions to become a happy um, person. <laughs> but emotions cannot be allowed to drive reality or distort reality excuse me, to drive reasons, the rational gift of our souls, and that it should not be allowed to distort reality. We, not just women, but men too, need to understand and accept our emotions. This is important for the integration of the human person. But most importantly, and I know um, lots of sisters make this the extra credit on the bottom of their tests. They make their students write this over and over again. Love is in the will. Love is in the will. Charity, caritas, is in our ability to will the good of the other, not in our emotions, not in our feelings. We need to understand and accept our... Oh, I already said that part. Woman is tempted to turn love for her husband away from willing his good, which would be true good, I mean true love, to satisfying her own longings and insecurities, thus using him as an object of her own emotional pleasure. And I call this the me monster, right? It's all about me, 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 and my feelings and making me feel secure and me feel loved. One of the, um, I met this beautiful couple in the last school I taught in, they were an older couple, husband was a neurosurgeon, very, very, very busy wife was a stay-at-home wife and um, mom and they were they've been married for 
45, 50 years by the time I knew them. And we went over to their house for dinner and um, the missus was sharing with us that at the first part of their marriage, it was really hard for her because her husband would come home absolutely exhausted and just want to go, like he was really into gardening. He just wanted to go and go into his garden and like plow the field. And he didn't want to spend time with her. And she would collect, she would um, cook these elaborate, beautiful meals for him and clean and cook and everything for him. And then he'd come home and all he would want to do is go, because he was exhausted, go and like be by himself. And she said she spent many nights crying, feeling like her husband didn't love her. And then one day, a special grace, Holy Spirit, you know, gave her a special grace and she realized, I'm wasting my emotions. <laughs> I'm wasting my time, my emotions, getting all upset about this. And her reason kind of clicked in, was like, he's exhausted. As a man, he needs, like Michael said, that time of solitude. And as his wife, I should support him in what he needs. So he doesn't need, you know, a three-course meal every single night. He needs a good meal, you know, but it doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. He doesn't need um, the same, you know, amount of social, maybe like the talking, how, how was your day and all things that, that she needed. But out of love for him, she accepted him for who he was. She accepted that he was pouring himself out as a doctor, as a surgeon, you know? And then, oh my gosh, such peace came upon her. She saw that her role was not to draw from him all, all that she needed to feel like she was a good wife or that she needed him in this emotional way, you know? But that she really loved him and saw, oh, what he needs is that time. And slowly, he also saw, you know, as, his, as a husband, that she had needs too as a woman, as his wife, and that he needed to spend more time with her, you know. But in that way, they grew in that knowledge, that self-knowledge, and in that way, not grow apart, but grew closer together. I thought that was so beautiful. A woman's inherently sensitive nature, however, so her... her very emotional side, her sensitivity, contributes to her true attractiveness and beauty. So a woman senses the emotions in a room. Ladies, like, do you get that? You're like, oop, I feel tension, you know? Or, um, okay, that person's not doing so hot right now. Or, wow, she's really happy. Like, what's going on with her? That's like, great for her, I'm happy for her. You know, so like, we like have these feelers that kind of go out. And, and, and we, we feel everybody's feelings, and some of us, a lot of us, take on, take on other people's feelings too. So like, I can tell you like at the convent, so I live with two other sisters, and teaching is a stressful job. And when a sister comes home stressed because a parent yelled at her on the phone, or this child lied to her about doing their homework, whatever, and she's stressed out about, about it, I like instantly like get stressed. <laughs> like, I just absorb it. I don't mean to. It's just the way God made me. You just you just take it in. Um, however, that sensitivity is actually part of woman's attractiveness and her beauty, right? 
Grace never, John Paul II says, Grace never casts nature aside. So that sensitivity is actually a gift of her nature, part of the richness of her femininity. Grace never casts nature aside or cancels it out, but rather perfects it and ennobles it. And Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, who was a Dominican, so he put it in a really pithy, short way, three words, grace perfects nature. So a woman naturally very emotional, sensitive to others, that can be either used to turn on her, turn everything into herself. Oh man, that sister is so stressed and I'm, it's making me all stressed and now I'm even more angry and frustrated because I'm stressed out because of her stress and now I'm resentful because I'm taking in everybody's emotions. So that's the me monster. Or it can become this like, okay, no, she needs something or he needs something and I'm going to make a self-gift of myself by spending time with her, listening to um, whatever is going on, being patient, giving her the benefit of the doubt. That would be uh, the virtuous response. <laughs> that is really a grace from God, that God's grace is perfecting that feminine richness that he's given. By God's grace, woman can overcome her tendency to pity parties, woe is me, indulge in gossip, and only measure things by feelings rather than use her sensitive nature to notice and lessen the sufferings of others and to understand, accept, and help. Sensitivity is a really important characteristic of the feminine heart. Um, in the Paschal Mystery, it was always the women who were first. They were the first of the tomb, so here's Mary Magdalene, and each, actually in my pocket, Sister Mary Magdalene, give me a relic of Mary Magdalene to be with us today. Um, they were the first to find the tomb empty. They were the first to hear, he is not here, he is risen, as he said. They were the first to embrace his feet. They were also the first to be called to announce this truth to the apostles. The Gospel of John emphasizes the special role of Mary Magdalene. She is the first to meet the risen Christ. Mary Magdalene was the first to eyewitness of the risen Christ. And for this reason, she was also the first to bear witness to him before the apostles. And so in a sense, we as women are often on the front lines. We're the first ones to notice. We're the first ones to be sensitive to whatever is going on. John Paul II says, our time is particularly, is Excuse me, our time in particular awaits the manifestation of that genius which belongs to women and which can ensure sensitivity for human beings in every circumstance because they are human. Of course, Mother Teresa, a beautiful example for us. Von Speyer, Adrian Von Speyer, who was a, um, like I said, a 20th century mystic, she says about Mary's sensitivity, Our Lady, Our Blessed Mother. She supplies what is wanting in the ones called understanding, will, decisiveness. She softly advises the hesitant one. She enhances the faint-hearted. In all this, she is the helper, the cooperator in the son's work. So a woman's sensitivity and awareness of others, especially emotionally, also can mean she experiences the sufferings of others more acutely. And I alluded to that already. And that leads to my fifth point, 
we're halfway there. <laughs> um, women resist suffering better than man. That's why she's the one who carries and births the child, you know. Um, woman, um, really there's a varying degree by which each individual woman can bear suffering. But generally speaking, a woman has within her a tremendous strength to hang on. Um, in scripture, God is likened to a woman in labor, giving birth in travail to his chosen people. And this often, not just in a physical motherhood, but in spiritual motherhood, is manifested in fidelity to the faith. Um, John Paul II says, the perfect woman, is this what it says up there? No, that's Fulton Sheen. The perfect woman becomes an irreplaceable support and source of spiritual strength for other people who perceive the great energies of her spirit. Do you know who she is? Is that familiar to anybody? Maybe the sisters. Um, Kathleen was taught by our sister, so I'm sure the sisters might have spoken about her. <laughs> her name was um, Chiara Corbella Petrillo. She's a servant of God. She died in, I want to say 2015. I could be wrong about that year, but very recently. She was um, an Italian woman who has married the love of her life and um, desperately wanted to have children. Finally, she conceived and um, early on in the pregnancy found out the baby had severe defects and would not be able to live more than a couple minutes outside of birth. And so she said no. I'm, so she was offered the opportunity to abort her child. And she said, no, I'm going to carry this baby to term. This baby is a love child. I love this child. I will carry it to term. So she carries the baby to term, has the baby. Baby lives a few minutes, um, is baptized, and then um, dies. They try to have, they try to conceive again and are successful. They conceive again. And um, they go to the doctor and they have the ultrasound. And again, this baby has defects severe defects that will only allow it to live a few minutes after it's born. And she's offered the opportunity to give up her baby, and she said, no, I'm going to carry this baby to term. And again, she carries the baby to term, gives birth, has the baby is baptized, and then the baby dies. Third pregnancy, so she tries again, gets pregnant again. This time the baby's healthy. Everything looks good. And she goes to the doctor, one of her appointments, and finds out after doing some blood work that she herself has cancer. So she's given the option to do the treatment, the chemotherapy, but the chemotherapy would risk the life of the child. And she said, no, I'm not doing the chemo. I'm gonna carry the baby to term, knowing that her um, chances of living herself would be significantly decreased. Sounds a lot like St. Uh, Gianna Breda Mola. Um, and sure enough, she gives birth to the baby. I think the baby was healthy. Um, and uh, shortly after that, she dies from the cancer. Right before she died, though, her husband asked her, is it really that sweet to carry the cross? And she looked up at her husband and said, yes, it's really that sweet to carry the cross. Um, and if you just look at that picture, I mean, picture thousand words, right? Like her joy. She is a woman who's fully embraced her motherhood 
not only physically, but also spiritually. That spiritual motherhood um, and the legacy that she gives, not only life to her child, but also that spiritual life that she gives to her child. I also think of um, Ruth in the Old Testament, who refused to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi, and committed herself completely to care of someone whom she had every right to to leave. So Kiara here, she, because of the principle of, um, what's it called? When, double effect, effect, thank you. (laughs) Principle of double effect. I mean, she she could have gone through the treatment, you know? And if she lost the baby, it would not be considered sinful. However, um, she chose the life of her child over her own. That's, the, that's what a woman can do. That's the strength of woman. Fulton Sheen says that woman is capable of greater sacrifices than man, partly because her love is less intermittent and also because she is unhappy without total and complete dedication. Woman is made for sacred, for the sacred. She is heaven's instrument on earth. And that goes back to the title, contributor of, um, sorry, collaborator with God's play, collaborator with the divine, right? She is heaven's instrument on earth. With her sensitive sensitivity, her endurance under suffering, woman is unique. However, woman must not appropriate to herself masculine qualities contrary to her feminine originality. If you remember from that scripture quote that I read from um, Genesis, Adam was enchanted by man. This one, at last my love has come at last, right? He's just enchanted by her. It's like, wow. So if woman takes on masculine qualities, she loses something. There's a, at least to like some kind of a deformation and a loss of essential richness. Fulton Sheen says, <clears throat> I love this, the level of any civilization is the level of its womanhood. This is because there is a basic difference between knowing and loving. In knowing something, we bring it down to the level of our understanding. But in loving, we always go up to meet the demand of the one loved. If we love music, we submit to its laws and disciplines. I think this is the quote. When a man loves woman, it follows that the nobler the woman, the nobler the love. The higher the demands made by the woman, the more worthy a man must be. That is why woman is a measure of the level of our civilization. This made me think of Queen Esther. I don't know how familiar you are with that story. Queen Esther in the Old Testament. She was a Jewish queen who was married to the Persian king Ahasuerus. I think I'm saying that right, Ahasuerus. And at that time, it would be illegal to appear to the king uninvited. In fact, the penalty would be death, right? You couldn't go, that would be presumptuous for you to just to go up to the king. But Esther um, knew that if she did not act, she did not go to the king, her people, the Jews, would be killed. So with incredible courage, she goes to the king, reveals the trickery um, of the king's advisor, Haman, 
who had instigated the killing of the Jews, and convinces the king to spare her people. But with her feminine brilliance, she doesn't appear to the king in sackcloth and ashes, but rather puts on her royal garments, and so enchants the king so much that he promises to fulfill any desire of hers, any requests of hers. She is not manipulative because manipulation is motivated by, motivated by selfish desires. If I'm manipulative, then I'm pointing it to what I want, the me monster again. Rather, she uses her feminine richness, her feminine charm, to convince her king of what was reality, of what was true, so that justice could prevail. And I, this is a cultural, I love this movie, I haven't seen it in a long time, but my big, my big fat Greek wedding, when the mother says, you know, the man is the head, but the wife is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. That has stuck with me for like 20, I don't know when I saw it, like as, for a long time since I've seen the movie. And there's truth to this, right? But woman can turn the neck, can turn the head to either fulfill her selfishness or to call him to greatness, right? I also think of, since we're in Georgia, Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. She, if you haven't seen the movie, it's worth watching at least once. I've seen it twice now. And it's a, it's a commitment, it's like four hours. But it's, con it's considered one of the greatest films in history, not only American cinema, but all of cinema. And Scarlett O'Hara is the perfect example of womanly manipulation, where it's always turned in on what she wants, and she can't stand it if she's not the center of attention, right? And I would actually recommend it for one of your nights together. You might want to consider watching this as a follow-up with this talk, because it's a perfect movie to watch through the lens of what happens when selfishness and self-centeredness is fostered in the hearts of young women. How the feminine charm can be used for purely selfish motives, but also Scarlet bears incredible burdens. Okay, what happens when um, not only what happens when she has to face these incredible burdens, but also how much she can bear, right? And there's that scene at the end of the first part of the movie. She says, she grabs the grass and she says, as God is my witness. <laughs> Um, as God is my witness, they are not going to lick me. I'm going to live through this. And when it's all over, I'll never be hungry again. And then the curtains fall and big dramatic music. And then you have intermission. So um, because it's a four and a half hour movie. So um, there's something to be said about woman's perseverance, like endurance under trial. But then also how she can um, turn it in on herself. Okay. After suffering, then comes, so the right kind of suffering, like pain, labor pains, then comes new life. The capacity to nurture new life within her body naturally leads to an openness and readiness to accept others. So here we have this interior readiness to accept and safeguard life from God in her own body. And this is 
more demanding than what the husband or the man has to do. And man owes a special debt. This is what John Paul II says. Man owes a special debt to women for this. The feminine heart is not focused on the job to be done, but the people for whom the job is to be done. John Paul Fulton Sheen says, man and woman each have a special mission under God to complement one another. Each too has its symbol in the lowest order. Man may be likened to an animal in, its equi in his equi acquisitiveness, mobility, and initiative. Woman can be likened to the flower, which is fixed between heaven and earth. She is like the earth in her bearing of life. She is like the heaven in her aspirations to blossom upward to the divine. The mark of man is initiative, but the mark of woman is cooperation. Man talks about freedom, woman about sympathy, love, and sacrifice. Oops, skip some lines there. Man cooperates with nature, woman cooperates with God. Man was called to till the earth, to rule over the earth, woman to be the bearer of a life that comes from God. So that talk this morning that Michael gave, I was kind of in my head thinking, well, this is a great, like, it goes perfectly with what I'm going to say, um, because his talk was very much do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, <laughs> right? If you do this, then you're going to be a masculine, authentic masculinity, which is true. Lots of those are great suggestions. I, I was very impressed. Um, but the woman, she brings the heart. She brings the soul. She brings the being, the why, right? So yes, I'm gonna present some things that you can do, but I'm also spending a lot of time onto like who she is. Who is the woman? Um, who is she meant to be? Because woman sees not just jobs, like tasks or lists of things to be done, though I love a list, cross it out, you know. You know woman is concerned with being. A woman's physical motherhood is intricately tied to her inner motherhood, the fostering and nurturing of the spiritual life of her children. And so that leads to our eighth fundamental. God entrusts new life to woman, and this gives her strength. A woman is strong, John Paul II says, because of her awareness of this entrusting, strong because of the fact that God entrusts the human being to her always and in every way. So in a physical sense, this is manifested in motherhood of children, physical motherhood. But in a spiritual sense, a woman is entrusted with the spiritual life of her children. If she is of her children, physical children, if she's married, or of the children for whom, to whom she is called to serve. Culture derives from woman. Is this what I said? No, nope, that's the quote from Spire. I'll go ahead to this. She therefore contrives everything in order to draw the seeker to the faith and to teach him an understanding of it until attracted and affected by the tenderness, sweetness, and complete simplicity of her faith and assent. This makes me think of St. Therese's mother, St. Zelie Martin. Um, I don't know if you've learned, but they're the St. Therese's parents were the first canonized couple together. Um, and St. Therese's mother in her short life taught
taught her daughters to use beads to count their sacrifices and acts of love. She encouraged them to make little offerings to Jesus throughout the day. She prayed for her family to become saints. She cherished her husband. She kept holy the Sabbath day. That's the vocation of motherhood. Not only to, not only to have children, but to foster and nourish their spiritual lives. This also made me think of something I see in the classroom working with families. Sometimes I see mothers who um, want to possess their children forever. <laughs> they don't let their children make mistakes. They don't let their children grow. They, what we call in the teaching world, helicopter moms. Um, and that's not healthy. <laughs> that's not good because children need to make mistakes. And mothers, true mothers, given the opportunity to let them mistake so that they can learn and therefore flourish. Entrusted with new life, a woman is a collaborator with the divine plan of that new life. And over and over again, Christ affirms the dignity of woman in the gospel. When a woman is loved, then she can love. God redeemed and restored the good diminished by sin on the cross. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus shows and promotes woman's dignity and expresses respect and honor. And the women who are encountered by Christ feel loved by him. For example, the woman at the well, the woman with the alabaster jar who, who breaks um, the jar to anoint his feet in the fragrance, fills the house, um, the story of Mary Magdalene, uh, the, woman at the, the women at the foot of the cross. Right? Their deep love cast out all fear. That is from St. Paul. This also made me think of, I was on a vocation panel with a priest who happened to be the brother of one of our sisters. Um, and he was sharing as part of his vocation story that when he was attracted to the priesthood, he told his spiritual director, I can't be a priest because I love women too much. And his spiritual director said to him, if you love women so much, then as a priest, you can love women as Jesus loved them. And he goes, oh, fine, I'll be a priest. No, he didn't say that to the church director, but in his head he's going like, to love women the way Jesus loved them. That would be to truly love women, right? I don't know, what, oh, of course, Mother Teresa again. Entrusted with new life, a woman is a collaborator with a divine plan for that new life. And over and over again, Christ affirms the dignity of woman in the Gospels. And of course, Our Lady, in a particular way, in her acceptance of um, God's plan for her. This is a little bit of a long quote. I'm sorry I'm quoting so much, but um, it's from Fulton Sheen. And this is so beautiful. Um, the hidden wish of every woman in history, the secret desire of every feminine heart, is fulfilled in that instant when Mary says, Fiat, be it done unto me according to thy word. Here is cooperation at its best. Here is the essence of womanhood. Acceptance, resignation, submission, be it done unto me. Whether it be the unmarried daughter who cares for the mother with her fiat of surrender to service, 
or the wife who accepts the husband in the unity of the flesh, or the saint who accepts little crosses proffered by her savior, or this unique woman whose soul submits to the divine mystery of mothering God made man. There is present in varying degrees the beautiful picture of woman in her sublimest vocation, making the total gift, accepting a divine assignment, being submissive for heaven's holy purposes. Mary calls herself Ancile Domini, the handmaid of the Lord. Not to be this for any woman lowers her dignity. Woman's unhappiest moments are when she is unable to give. Her most hellish moments are when she refuses to give. So when a woman becomes a mother, whether she's physically or spiritually a mother, she's no longer an independent individual, but rather is possessed by love, love for her child, and that love demands sacrifice and gift. Woman is capable of great love, levels of self-forgetfulness as her heart is naturally overcome with compassion at the sight of the sufferings of others. It is self-gift that satisfies and brings joy to the feminine heart. This is the last one. Woman's desires to be loved, cherished, and honored for who she is, not just what she does or says. John Paul II says, in the love between a woman and a man in marriage, there is a fundamental affirmation of the man, of, of the woman as a person, of the man too, but here we're talking about women. This affirmation makes it possible for the female personality to develop fully and be enriched. I think this is really pertinent um, in our society uh, today where there's a lot of girls who don't have strong father figures in their lives. Right? When a little girl doesn't have a father to say to her, you are beautiful and worthy of respect and honor, it's very hard for that little girl to grow in security of who she is. Christ in the church, um, there's an analogy that St. Paul uses. It says Christ desires that she be in splendor without spot or wrinkle. And Fulton Sheen says, man is driven by love of pleasure, but woman by the pleasure of love, by its meaning and the enrichment of soul it grants. I just want to end this, this amazingly, this is only the first part. Don't worry, the next two parts are really short. But I just want to end this first big part this with a quick story about this sweet couple. Their names are Bud and Rita. They've been married for like 65 years. I couldn't find a picture of them on Google Images, so I just told, chose old couples. But they're this old couple, really beautiful old couple. Um, and Bud, they would come read to the second graders, and they're like every week, once a week. And Bud has this beautiful love for his wife, Rita. He has, for the 65 years, been married to her. He has always held the door for her. She does not remember a single time that he has not held the door for her. He always gets the car door for her. Like he always opens the car door for her and she gets in and he closes it for her. Like he doesn't just go around to the driver's seat. He like closes the door for her. He every now and then surprises her with flowers. They're always holding hands. She's, he shows her great honor and deference. And this is so beautiful. Rita lets him love her. 
Rita lets him hold the door. There's something in us, I think in our formation as women, according to the culture, is that like, no, I can hold the door. You don't need to hold the door for me. I'm good. Yeah, you go ahead, you know. But no, like, as women, we need to let men love us. We have to let men um, show women dignity and respect because that affirms their masculinity and it also um, reminds us of our dignity as women. So I think it's just a beautiful example. Say an extra prayer for them today if you could. But and Rita. All right, so some threats to femininity. Um, I, these sort of just kind of come up from off the top of my head, just thinking about what I've seen in culture, what I've in my experience with young people, um, things that we've talked about among the sisters. Number one, there's like a restlessness. So this 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 um, corrodes a feminine heart, a restlessness, kind of just like she just can't get settled. It's different from Saint Augustine's "My heart is restless until it rests in you." It's a different kind of restlessness for God. Now, this is a restlessness that I think comes. Um, highly linked to social media and technology. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary, um, The Social Dilemma, okay? I think it's a, that would also be a great youth night to show that together and have a good conversation about it. Um, it's frightening, Facebook is not what it was when it first came out when we were um, in middle school and high school or elementary school for some of you. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not what it used to be, and it's designed to addict, get you addicted to it. You probably already know this. Um, but it fosters a restlessness, and then the woman, the feminine heart then, is no longer um, founded in God's love for her, but rather how many likes and friends and their responses to her, the posts that she's made. Her, her security then is in something that isn't real, right? Isn't true. Um, another one is a dismissiveness of men, and I kind of alluded to that. I'm not letting them simply not, like, letting them hold the door. Like, ladies, we can let them hold the door. <laughs> um, and sometimes women, we put men down, you know, oh, they don't understand, you know, like, they, he's a guy, you know, he's just not going to get it, you know. Um, and also, I think letting them have their solitude like letting, understanding that that's like, guys need their man caves. <laughs> I think that's helpful to know that. I, I learned that later in life. Like um, just with my interactions with families, like men just need that time to process. I don't know what God, you all do in your man caves, but they need that. They need that space. <laughs> Nagging, highly not good. Um, experienced it in my own family. I've done it to my little brother. The nagging woman is not a feminine woman, um, but we're tempted to it. Falling into sentimentality, um, that's the, <clears throat> I'm sure none of you read these books, but those romance novels that can be, um, that can suck women in, that can be likened like I, to like soft porn, like that stuff is not good for the woman because it, it ties her up into that sentimentality um, that is only pointed to her own, um, to herself. Not living in reality, this is a really big one. Um, allowing her emotions to dictate, okay, what is real and what is not, as opposed to letting her rational mind, okay, letting her rational reason, her rational powers drive the car. Um, 
unconcerned for persons. So like when a, a woman is concerned, like she sees the other, but if she's like, oh, I don't really care about how that person feels, start seeing that in her, that's not, that's not good, that's not healthy. An overly aggressive and competitiveness, and um, here's another cultural reference, The Devil Wears Prada, Meryl Streep in The Devil's Wear Prada. She's not exactly the best example of femininity for us. And this like frenetic energy that we can sometimes get, like I just can't, don't have enough time to get it all done. And then you just start getting really, really, really anxious. Um, that's, that shows there's something in, inside that's not settled. It's either insecurity, a fear, um, perfectionism. Perfectionism is something a lot of us struggle with. Um, if I could recommend a book, it's called The Heart of Perfection, How the Saints Taught Me to Trade My Dream of Perfect for Gods. It's by Colleen Carroll Campbell. We just listened to it um, in the, in, at dinner. It's excellent, I think, for combating perfectionism. And there's a saying that we have in the convent um, that one of my spiritual mothers, Sister Mary Angela, taught me, and it's like a mantra. To the best that you can, the time that you have, for the love of God. That's the only thing you remember from this talk, then it's a success. Do the best that you can <laughs> with the time that you have for the love of God and have peace, then have peace. Um, crudeness, you probably don't experience this, you probably don't do this, but language that corrupts rather than elevates. So like, for the men in this room, when you when you have children, you have daughters, like really encouraging them to and setting the example of using good language. Um, I actually am very good. I'm often very surprised by which children that I have in my class that like how many bad words that they know by second grade, and they didn't hear it at school, so they must have heard it somewhere else. So really helping um, children understand like why that's not okay. And immodesty, um, immodesty, and I'm going to touch on modesty in just a moment. Okay. So formation of the feminine heart. So here's the positive. So I just talked about the negatives. Let's talk about the positives. What can we do to help form a heart um, that is feminine? The first one I thought it was to make things beautiful. Learn how to make things beautiful. And I learned this in the convent. Like some sisters are really naturally good at arranging flowers. And some of us, and I'm in that second category, like need to be taught how to arrange flowers. Like it's like okay, orange and you know, gray don't go together. Okay, I didn't know that. So <laughs> like sometimes it takes someone to teach you how to make something beautiful. Now I'm not saying everyone here needs to know how to arrange flowers, but learn how to garden, um, the gift of organizing, <laughs> decorating cakes, you know, cooking delicious meals, um, crocheting, learning, uh, hand, and arts and crafts, like all those things, those little things, those in a sense that I've been deemed like feminine arts are worth the time, you know, learn how to make things beautiful. And I'm not saying you have to do it all so that you'd be perfect. I'm just saying, you know, that's just a general principle. Learn basic care. Um, as a teacher, we get CPR certified because we have children in our care, but I think going through CPR class that every person should be CPR certified. 
because you never know when an emergency can come up and also just like basic care so that when you're a mother and there's a situation health situation emergency situation you know how to act and care and be able to do what needs to be done um, okay so modesty and there's you all are very modest so I don't feel like I really need to harp on this very much um, there's a principle I heard for women I thought that was really helpful for girls to not dress in a way that makes people wonder if you're a girl or leaves nothing to wonder <laughs> so women to really dress modestly it's prim primarily to protect the woman herself right so if a woman is drawing attention to herself because it's too low too short or too see-through okay then it becomes that I'm trying to draw, draw attention to myself and I'm it may be that I'm trying to get the attention of other men or possibly other women you know I want her approval of me or whatever that could also go on the opposite end if a woman only dresses like a man like that can also be considered immodest because there's something um, like that's drawing attention like more to herself not saying that you can't be in like sweats and a t-shirt I know lots of lots of um, Lots of my friends would just love to live in splits in their t-shirt. <laughs> but there's a time and a place, right? And appropriateness. Okay, this one is really helpful. Know how to ask for help and how to give help without being pushy. Okay, so um, I learned this from my sister. It was really helpful. In instead of using the word could, when we ask for something, use the word would. So, honey, could you take out the trash? I asked my dad if this is true now. True or not, my dad said yes. Um, if I were to say, if my mom were to say, honey, could you take the trash out? My dad inside him says something, yes, I can take the trash out. I'm capable of taking the trash out. Do you want me to take the trash out? <laughs> um, instead of saying, could you take the trash out? Saying, would you take the trash out? Comes an invitation to serve. An invitation to lay down his life, to do something good. And my dad said, yeah, that's true. I would rather your mother said would instead of could, that's true. <laughs> okay. So um, I find that also with my students. Uh, and so like future mothers, future fathers, like when you ask your children to do something, can you please pick up your clothes? Instead of saying can or could, saying would, because then it becomes an invitation. Super helpful. Um, loving Mary and growing in devotion to her because she is our example. Um, if there's a particular title that you love, my name is Sister Jacinta, so I have a particular devotion for Our Lady of Fatima, um, one that Pope Francis has uh, recently made popular is Our Lady Undoer of Knots. It's a beautiful uh, devotion. Growing the spiritual life through uh, study of scripture, study of the virtues, and most importantly, prayer. So a, woman, a womanly heart is a heart of prayer. Keeping holy the Sabbath, not doing work on Sundays that is unnecessary. Um, the sisters, we have a we have a custom in our community, like we don't sew on Sundays. Um, now we can go like weed the garden on Sundays, but we don't sew on Sundays <laughs> because it, somehow like sewing has been it goes with work, and so we we abstain from you know doing that work on Sundays to keep it holy. 
and most importantly, nurturing the Word of God. So a woman is naturally a nurturer. So nurturing the Word of God um, in our hearts, in our mind, pondering it as Our Lady did. Mary is the prototype, the pattern woman who fulfills in herself the deepest aspirations of the heart of every daughter of Eve. That's Fulton Sheen. We began our reflection by acknowledging Mary as the highest honor of our race, the woman that every man loves in the ideal, and the woman every woman wants to be when she looks at herself. We saw how woman was created for a purpose, but not to be used as an object to fulfill a function. Rather, her purpose affirms the reality of her personhood as a collaborator with the divine, as a nurturer and formator of new life, as the one who calls others to greatness of soul and character by the degree by which she herself strives for greatness and holiness. But like man, she has a human nature, disordered and tempted to turn in on herself. The gift of her emotions and sensitivity can either be used to inspire others to Christ or trap them in her whirl of uncontrolled emotions and self-centered sentimentality. Her ability to bear children in her own body is a physical manifestation of her vocation to bear new life in the spirit, passing on the best of the culture and the faith that will lead her children eventually to their heavenly destiny. God gave woman her feminine inheritance as a means to an end, the final end, bliss and beatitude with him in paradise. Woman is heaven's instrument on earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.